0: Hello, and welcome to another Sustainable Wine Roundtable podcast. My name is Tom Outram, and I'm the Operations and Partnerships Manager of the SWR, and I'm delighted to be joined by Beth Novak-Milliken, President and CEO of Spotswood Winery, and Aaron Weinkauf, Winemaker and Vineyard Manager of Spotswood. And I believe the last 17 years,
1: still going strong. Yeah, not all of that as winemaker and vineyard manager, but yes, 17 years here.
0: Beth and Aaron, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Beth, perhaps we could start with you providing us with a bit of a history of Spotswood Winery and what your initial drivers were for developing your One Earth policy. My family bought this property in 1972,
2: so just over 50 years ago now. Moved here as a lifestyle change. My father was a doctor who wanted to raise his five children in a more rural environment, and he and my mother had friends who had moved here to Napa Valley and started looking around for properties It was strictly a lifestyle choice at that time. And looked around for various properties and chanced upon this beautiful old property that was called Spotswood. And really they had just a handful of parameters. They needed a house large enough for five children. My father wanted to drive a tractor, not be a doctor, and my mother was an avid gardener. So this beautiful old estate, old for California, I mean established in the late 1800s, seemed to fit all of those criteria. We moved here in 1972, all five of
0: us, and became stewards of this beautiful property. And how did the one Earth policy come to form?
2: That came quite a bit later. After we moved here, we replanted what was then uh, a post-Prohibition vineyard. My father had to go back to work as a doctor to earn some money because that was in short supply when you're doing all of this and you have five children. He unfortunately died very unexpectedly of a heart attack at five years after we moved here and so it took my mom another five years to realize their shared dream and to make our first vintage of Cabernet Sauvignon which was in 1982. The man who was our founding winemaker was named Tony Soder and he was a philosophy major by background but obviously had everything that he needed technologically to know how to make wine well. He took over the management of our vineyard three years later in 1985. He was the one who suggested to my mom. I wasn't yet here. I started here in 1987. But he was the one who had a real interest in organic farming and suggested that too as a possibility. And by then, my mom really trusted him and said, "Let's give it a try." So, in Napa Valley, we were the one of the first to begin farming organically, and then we actually got certified in 1992. So I think we were the second to be certified. That launched our foray into being stewards of the land and caring for the soils and where we were. And then it was about, well, in 2000, when I sort of spearheaded a project along the southern boundary of our vineyard, which is called Spring Creek, and we share it now with neighbors. When we first moved here, there weren't neighbors there. But over the years, uh, homes got built there. The idea was to restore this creek so that it wasn't just this deep, deep channeled water just ran down. So we spearheaded all of that and that kind of played more into it and then from there we've just never looked back. We've done more and more ever since.
0: It seems like there's a lot going on within your operations, both on the estate and but also with other organizations. Correct. And we're certified organic, but now we're certified biodynamic. And
2: yeah, everything we do are 100% solar. We have farm animals. We will have regenerative organic certification very soon. We're just doing everything we possibly can, recognizing the climate crisis or climate change as our biggest threat, not just to our viability long term, but of course, existential threat to all of us on planet mm. Earth. So it's very important to us.
0: Zoning so in on Napa Valley, it's obviously experienced 1st some of the dangerous effects of climate change with worsening droughts and wildfires. Do you think the wine industry is taking climate change seriously enough? I think that the
2: wine industry is starting to take it seriously enough. Especially here in the United States, you know, the issue of climate change it has unfortunately been politicized, which is completely absurd. But let's just not get into the absurdity of our politics at the moment. At least they're more balanced now, but there's still a lot of craziness. So I think that there is finally cognizance and recognition that all of these extremes are real. Yeah, you're talking about high heat, you're talking about high winds, you're talking about wildfires. We just had really, we love every bit of rain that we got, but it sort of all comes at once. So it's sort of like feast or famine in a sense. It's more extreme. So I think the wine industry, I mean, this year, the annual meeting of the Napa Valley Vintners, which is on January 31st down in Napa, is devoted to climate change. So this is finally the terminology is being used straight up, which I've been requesting for some years. I'm mm-hmm. on the board of the Napa Valley Vintners. The Napa Valley Grape Growers is very aware of it. So there is a lot more discussion. Our Napa Green program speaks to it. And then of course, there's International Wineries for Climate Action, which we're a part of and I'm on the board of. And that's all about measuring GHG emissions. And that is international. So mm-hmm. there is more and more cognizance coming. There's more that we should be doing in my opinion but i believe that now that we're on a path transformation should happen relatively quickly
0: is there any particular area where you think more focus and resources should be paid to which could make a measurable difference yes i do clearly everybody should measure their
2: greenhouse gas emissions and determine what they're actually contributing and then work to back that off in doing that you end up working with your supply chain and helping them realize here's what we're doing simple things for example for a winery like ours actually it's for most wineries the greatest concentration of greenhouse gas emissions is in packaging so glass bottles and their weight which i know you've talked a lot about and we're all considering so there's all of that there's also business travel Uh, there's wine shipment so if you think about a lot of wineries in napa valley a lot of us sell wine direct to consumer every time you ship something via air freight it's a very high environmental cost Mm -hmm. and so really working hard to make sure we're shipping everything we can by ground and by truck and not by plane. So there's a lot of things that can be done. And then hopefully there's work and Aaron can speak much better to this than I, you know, about what sort of sequestration vineyards can offer if properly managed. And it's as yet an imperfect science, because of course there is some tilling, there's times when, I mean, there's pruning, there's vines that get removed and replanted. So it it is farmed land. It's not like it's just forest
0: where we're planting something, but looking at really what that can contribute as well over time. And Aaron, if I can use that opportunity to turn to you, many vineyard managers and winemakers we talk to say weather and temperature volatility are the biggest impacts they have experienced so far in terms of climate change. Would you agree? What are you doing in the vineyard and
1: winery to adapt to these changes? Definitely, I agree. And at the same time, you know, I think ultimately because climate change doesn't just mean things are getting hotter. It just means things are getting more extreme and those extremes are becoming more frequent. So how we ultimately are able to move our paradigm from a constantly reactive paradigm to a more proactive paradigm through something like a more regenerative practice and then also how we go about doing what we're doing as far as just the tools that we have available to us, how we create a more nimble system where we're better able to respond to years where we have lots of rain and lots of vegetative growth. And likewise, able to respond to the years where we don't have any because the farming under those two extremes is very, very different You know when we're ultimately trying to make a product that is somewhat consistent. And most recently, you've mentioned the regenerative movement. I understand you've been working towards
0: the regenerative organic certification. Can you tell us how you would define regenerative farming
1: and what benefits have you seen since adopting this approach? The group behind regenerative organic farming has created a little bit more of a three-legged system, one based on on animal production, one based on vegetative farming practices, and one based on kind of the sustainability of the social aspect, whether that be employees, community, etc., For us, those have always been priorities. We have sought to take care of all of that as well as possible, and it's always been a major part of our ethos. So it really hasn't brought about some major changes to what we do. All of that said, a greater emphasis on moving animals into the field, more grazing, reduced tillage is a big component of the vegetative side, and a side that we've been managing the ups and downs of those components for a decade now, because it's hard. And a lot of the standards might have came from Midwest or East Coast, which obviously has a very different climatic reality and different water availability. So how we go through trying these practices, modifying these practices and transitioning them to something truly adapted to our climate here is the most significant portion of what we're doing as far as the vineyard is concerned. And then, yeah, the, the work we've done to take care of employees, our community, part of that is why we grow organically. But it goes above and beyond that and drives what we have done as far as the B Corp certification. Okay. But again, a lot of these, I think that kind of alluded to earlier, this was part of the family's ethos and therefore the company's ethos and were things that we were already doing. So then embracing these certifications as they came along and were available was just very natural and easy. And do you think these certifications are useful to
0: the end consumer? Or is there potentially the risk that we're creating a label fatigue
1: in the market? Both. I think the consumer has to be able to look at and understand either the ethos of a business, where a product comes from, what has gone into that product. I think Mm -hmm. as, as a consumer, we should all be more cognizant of these things. And at the same time, yeah, the system is still nascent, you know, there's a lot of people now competing to be that voice of organics, that voice of sustainable, that voice of green. And unfortunately, they all oftentimes focus on a smaller sliver of the overall pie. And it certainly can create this reality in which, yeah, there's a lot of different certifications, but there are a handful that are very important and really are the standard bearers within the industry. And I would certainly say CCOF organic certification, is one of those. The B Corp certification, as far as what it has done for corporate ideology, has to be one of them. I know there are others coming along, like IWCA, that wants to become one of those really strong pillars for the Carbon world, and, and which is ultimately how we kind of think about climate change and our ability to impact climate change or to make better on it.
2: There's also Demeter, which is international, right? Yeah. The thing about B Corp is that it's also international. <laughs> Those, that's really important to me, too. Like, it's super important, but it's California certified organic farmers. What's really good about, yeah. Oh,
1: but CCf was the standard there that laid the foundation for so much of all other organic yeah, okay. certifications. Oh, well, that's good. And enough. there are organic certifications globally that are all very much aligned. Okay. Demeter, yes, Demeter is international, but Demeter USA is not Demeter- international. So even though it is a subsidiary in a sense, the standards behind organic certification and the role that CCOF as a certifier to those organic standards has played in developing those standards is really impressive. I mean, and they've been doing it now for 40 years. Well, and you also said they're the ones that are
0: going to give us, they're going to oversee the regenerative organic certification too, which is great. Mm, Yeah. To what extent is the collaborative Aspect of being part of these programs a sort of important part, or is it more about the sort of framework that they provide
1: you? Well, in the long run, it has to be collaborative. I mean, it's the thing I hope lots of these certification agencies, as they begin to realize that I think the value in them is what we can take and demonstrate to the general consumer mm-hmm. that there's more collaboration amongst. Lots of them or all of them. We can be speaking with a little bit more of a stronger, unified voice around a lot of these topics. And at the same time, the framework that it gives to somebody can be equally invaluable, perhaps more so for somebody that might be transitioning or looking to go down one of those paths, because they do have a good infrastructure. They do have good suggestions. They do oftentimes have a good resource pool to help people along their path. And at the same time, I feel like for us in our position now, a lot of times it's our role as an older member within the group, yes, to be more collaborative, to work on some of these things, to perhaps help be more involved and push for additional changes that we think are going to be beneficial for the industry and climate as a whole.
2: We're trying to be
1: the change, but then we're also really trying to inspire change. And
2: we feel like being part of this industry, and and again, I alluded to it earlier when I was just talking about the greenhouse gas emissions associated with shipping wine direct to consumer. But when you think about the consumers that we're all fortunate enough to have, everybody's in a position to, to make even subtle changes in their lives that will bring emissions. Whether it's just really thinking more about travel and how often you jump on an airplane to go somewhere whether it's just the car you drive, it's whatever, whether you choose to put solar on your home, whether hopefully people just start thinking, gosh, you know, there's things that I can start doing that will make a difference. And then you just start making these adjustments. And this sort of demographic and people in the world of wine have that opportunity. Not everybody has the opportunity, right? So if you think about making it a real positive and say, we have the chance to be part of the change and to try to inspire change, that feels good.
0: That's a nice thing to be able to do. But it's amazing the leadership you're showing within the wine industry to take these conscious choices and be part of this sort with of a collective effort. Who do you think beyond producers should be showing potentially more leadership or taking more responsibility to sort of drive action? What I'm really happy about is our trade organizations here in Napa
2: County are the Napa Valley Vintners and the Napa Valley Grape Growers are really speaking to all of these issues now and really making sure that their membership is informed. All the people who are grape growers and don't have anything to do with the winery should be very concerned. I mean, if you think about the agricultural industry overall, we are uniquely aware of the impacts of climate change. I mean, we live it every day. We've had years, well, each and every one of them since 17 that has shown something extreme and dramatic be it a fire you'll say extreme heat smoke in the air you name it we've had a lot of everything we just haven't had an earthquake in a while i guess that's really but that doesn't necessarily impact but i'm sure i'm sure it's coming um but anyway this is what you know this is part of what california if consumers can do it and then also people who grow grapes and then also just members of our whole supply chain you know when it starts becoming important they say you know this winery cares about or here's a small example I'm participating in an auction in Kansas City in May. So they were trying to consolidate wines. And there's another one that I was just communicating with as well. One in Atlanta, I think. And it was like, okay, so if you want all these wines, consolidate them and then get them shipped by ground, we will not ship individually by air to get these wines to you. And all of a sudden people are going, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. So these are those small things and they're saying, well, how do I do this? And then Robin's helping putting them in touch with Vinefall. All of a sudden you come up with this whole thing where we'll all take our wines, to a place they'll, they'll get packed and picked up and trucked and taken and now you probably just eliminated 25 individual air freights and that's just for one thing and but then everybody who's part of that email because of course i hit a reply to all says oh we really should be thinking about this going forward so you know you can really start when you just have the these are little tweaks that are easy to make that it just it's about awareness
0: and I think that's what we found with the SWR is providing a forum for people to be able to share those learnings Yes, is a real powerful tool to making sort of change happen at that scale. Exactly. You know, and then just
2: to go back to one thing you were saying, you know, more than the number of certifying agencies, I think, you know, some big fear, and of course you read about it all the time is that is greenwashing is use of the term sustainable, which you I already talked about, because yes. sustaining is not what we need to do. We can't sustain. We need to do better to regenerate, to bring back, right? And so it's really interesting because all this terminology is out there and so much is being said about it. And yet then you read all these reports that with their ESG and everything that people are falling short or that they're overstating and they're doing this. And I mean, that's what makes the certification so important is that you don't just say, oh yeah, we're farming organically, or we're farming biodynamically, but we don't want to be certified. No, you say we're doing it and we're certified to show that yes. we're doing it. And I think that's extremely important because there are too many people to say, oh no, we farm sustainably, but we're just not, we just don't get to the certifications.
0: Then in my view, you're not really doing it. No, I, think, I don't think that's right. I think the position we're in now is that everyone's been able to sort of define their own sustainability. We need to work together to really define what the problems are, but then also what the intended outcomes should be. Correct. Hopefully, through these collaborative initiatives, we can get to a better place and overcome these definition challenges. Exactly, because they're overused, these terms now, right? In a lot of ways, and they don't really
2: have a meaning, right? In in a lot of ways, because sustainable is not defined as a... There's no measure, but there's no certification, per se. It's all fairly nascent, and it will sort itself out. It's going to take some time. What gives you hope for the future? I'm an optimistic person, so I would like to think that there is a good future and that we will we will be able to make things better. The reality is, the train is already out of the station on climate change, and we need to absolutely stop throwing carbon into our atmosphere. We need to pull it back. We need to find ways to sequester it. We, there's so much that humanity needs to do, and if we come together, I think we can make an impact. We are still... Even if we do this, we have, what, 20 or 30 very unstable years ahead, if not more, if we don't act. Yeah. It. I mean, ocean levels are going to rise. Everything, you know, we're already seeing just unbearable heat in parts of the world, and there's going to be more migration and more political turmoil and more social turmoil. There's a lot associated with, when you look at Syria, they say that everything that happened there was very much related to drought and climate. Mm. So are we really going to turn this around? I hope so. I have two children, 23 and 21. I'd like to. Aaron's children are younger than mine. We have to retain hope on behalf of them. And again, do everything that we can do personally and inspire change. Aaron, you'll
1: have your own thoughts. Ultimately, I think we all have to continue to care. He would have to really hear about changes because he, I, I have to say, I would really love to see a lot of the environmental movement not politicized or depoliticized so that we could stop having politics and personal interest an impediment to some of these changes that are very self apparent and have now been monitored on every side of the pond, every side of the political spectrum and are very known now. That would be one thing I'd like to see and it would be great if we saw a little more action there and help increase a little bit more hope for that side of things, for quicker change. And at the same time, on a personal basis, it's still great. You still have the luxury of getting up and waking up, and looking at the sun, seeing, seeing bulbs bloom again, seeing leaves push again, and seeing that there is still life around us. And if that can't instill, as well as our children and our futures, if that can't instill hope and that isn't a reason for caring, then I don't know what is. So that part of it still is kind of easy and fresh and raw, it's very present. Well, and as a visitor to your winery, I can certainly take hope from all the work that you're doing and
0: the action you're taking to address the impact that you have, but then also share those experiences with others. So it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you, Beth. And I thank yeah. you. Thank Bye-bye. you so
2: much. Thank you,
1: Tom.